Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. This is Soundtrack Your Life. I'm Ryan Pack, and this is a soundtrack podcast where I talk to someone about a soundtrack that they have a connection to. Today we have a couple of returning guests. We have our musical composer and member of Rubber Spaniel, Phil Bertolfo, and J.M. Brandt, writer of the upcoming comic Swamp Dogs, House of Crows, which should be out around Halloween time. Today we're going to talk about the 1997 Wes Craven film Scream 2. So, which one of you guys has a connection to this movie? (laughs) Um, well, I, I am the soundtrack, your life, uh, resident horror person. So I, I guess it'd be me. No, actually I, I didn't watch this one in the theater, which really? is kind of strange. Yeah, I know. Right. Huh? Yeah. For whatever reason, I just was out on the scream franchise after the first one and I watched it at home. I'd say maybe like two years after it came out two or three years but uh yeah it it was it was a lot of fun to revisit for the soundtrack and uh for the podcast i i'm pretty sure i saw it in theater i assumed i saw it with you uh jm because did did we see the first one together we did okay I, i remember that um because i remember i think basically every time you have had a horror movie i've had very little interest and then I and then you and then I see it and then it's like this was the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I remember that one being a big one because I was like just not all that interested in this movie with like the party of five lady and like <laughs> you know it was like a lot of didn't it? It seemed like there were a lot of was it before or after um, American Pie? Oh, that's a good question. That's... Scream 1 was before, I believe. When was American Pie? Like two years? Like 98? I'm, I'm on it. It is 99. <clears throat> the thing that so struck it's me... after both. I, I, I hadn't seen Scream, either of the Screams since they were in theater. Or either the first two Screams since they were in theater. And it it's like the most 90s damn thing I've seen in a long time. It is really 90s. It's so 90s. And, it, and that's kind of saying a lot like my wife and I... Uh, in uh, during lockdown had kind of like a 90s ish like binge thing going on like we uh, it kind of started when with the uh the Michael Jordan documentary we just like we're like oh man the 90s remember the 90s and then we like watched uh, then there was like the fresh prince uh reunion we watched mm-hmm. like so much fresh prince and by the end you were wearing cross colors <laughs> well it's just shocking to see uh how n- way more 90s <laughs> scream felt than like you know these like this documentary about the 90s yeah but just watching just like s- like just seeing matthew lillard <laughs> be a you know be not shaggy be but <laughs> but kind of be shaggy <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The the first movie because I, I rewatched that one to sort of like prepare myself for Scream Two. 
it was really jarring to see him and and just to see how 90s everything was but uh also how absurdly obnoxious matthew lillard was he was yeah he was like way over the top they yeah. kind of all were but then like a lot of them were tv actors and i i feel like that was like a kind of a good move yeah because the movies because like you know kind of like cheesy horror but like it's smart to use these i mean i don't know if you've seen tv from the 90s but the acting it's just so weird how different the acting is like, mm-hmm. from 20 years ago 30 years ago yeah, well, yeah. that's because they had just invented talkies, and so <laughs> it almost feels that way. Yeah, it really like does. People, when you watch, when you watch uh, an especially hacky sitcom from back then, it just seems like no one, even in hacky sitcoms now, no one talks like that, or like maybe on Nickelodeon or something. Right, there's a cadence to it all that yeah. um, there's there's like a, a tone and a pacing to the patter that kind of doesn't exist anymore yeah and is inappropriate in a movie <laughs> but, uh, like, yeah. but then you see it but that where it totally works in scream like just uh, like jamie kennedy is already too much yeah but like uh, in the amount of it that he's in the movie in both either of the movies i think it's just like the exact amount of Jamie Kennedy that anything needs. <laughs> you hit uh, Jamie Kennedy ter- terminal velocity. Yeah. Is yeah. what you're like, saying. And they, they kill him right right when he's done. Being Spoiler useful. alert. Oh, come on. It's, from... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost so... 25 years old. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So speaking of 90s, the soundtrack for Scream 2 is very, very 90s. It's extremely 90s. Yeah. I think that's the most notable thing about it. What's like? I was looking at it. And thinking, like, it's covering so many genres that were, like, and, and, and like, everyone on it, every, almost every name on it is, like, uh, was at or near the height of their relevance. Yeah, more or less. You know, you know what it, um, like, uh, when, when you first asked us, Ryan, to do Scream 2 and do the soundtrack, uh, the first thing I did was I looked at the soundtrack. And the second thing I did was I rolled my eyes. But, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the third thing that I did was question whether or not this was a label rep from whatever publisher put out the soundtrack. I'm guessing it's like Warner or something. Um, Capital Records. Capital Records. Okay, like the Capital Records uh, representative, like their their label rep, was just like, let's give him the poo poo platter, uh, Wes Craven of of our stars, and let them all shine. And they may have nothing to do with the movie, and they may have nothing to do with like the characters that are in the movie or the kinds of people that are in the movie. But we're just going to hit like every single genre with every single big act that we want to promote, even if it doesn't work with the movie. Yeah, and you know, I think they kind of like did the movie the same way. Like Sarah Michelle Gellar's in it kind of for no reason, you know, (laughs) or, uh, you know, the whole thing just feels like as thrown together as, uh, as the soundtrack. And, um, you know, like Laurie Metcalf. Mm -hmm. I remember when I saw it in in theater, I was just like, why is the lady from Roseanne in this movie? And just being a little, just like thrown off by that. And then uh, there's a lot of people who are really famous now 
that I don't know that they were famous back then. Like, like, uh, like Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. Yeah. And Portia de Rossi. Portia de Rossi. Yeah. It's, um, and I, (laughs) and in a weird way, the, um, the soundtrack kind of mirrors that. Like there's still some bands on there that are still like Foo Fighters is on there. Mm-hmm. And right. it's a weird Foo Fighters song. Like, yeah, no, all, all of these songs are like clearly like, you know, they weren't even supposed to be B-sides. These were just like cutting room floor for all of the, you know. Yeah, I mean, with artists. the exception of the, the Nick Cave song, because that, yeah. that, that, came, okay, yeah, that yeah. came from the first movie, used it also. And it, I oh, think it that's oh, I think that's kind of like the Scream song. Huh. Yeah, I believe Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds shows up in the first three Scream movies in different variations. Huh. Yeah, yeah, and and it definitely was a, a different version and everything. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with the whole uh, B-side or worse. Yeah. <laughs> and and I not, got it. not that they're all bad songs, you know, there there are some decent songs on there, but yeah, clearly these these were not A-level you know, they they were saving these songs for uh, some other teen comedy or something. Yeah. So the music supervisor for this movie and for the, the rest of the screen movies going forward is a man named Ed Gerard. And he's the one that put it together. And apparently, like, the use of R&B and hip-hop music in the film is to kind of, like, break a barrier in horror movies. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, this this had this movie had like a whopping three black people <laughs> compared I, to the first one, yeah. which had only, only white people. Yeah, I don't know how reputable this blog is, but Mister and Mrs. Halloween dot com they mentioned music supervisor Ed Gerard, and they said the horror genre is notorious for excluding the Afri- African American element. So Ed Gerard falls suit, introducing R and B, hip hop, and rap to the musical world of the franchise. I mean, no better way to introduce <laughs> that music to the world than having a masterpiece song in 1997. I thought you were going to say Cottonmouth Kings. <laughs> <laughs> they were at the height of their relevance. <laughs> <laughs> For one movie, they were relevant. I don't want to go on a soapbox rant, but I did want to talk about race and horror movies and Scream, if that's okay. Yeah. I think I just gave you a runway for it. <laughs> I think you did. I think you did. So, uh, yeah, like very clearly, like the, the whole point of Scream the first was that you had this famous slasher director in Wes Craven making an updated slasher that was pegged by many as cute and inventive and wry and clever because it used the conventions of horror and the conventions of slashers as a weapon inside the movie itself right like that's the whole thing is like oh uh we watched all the horror movies so we know how not to get caught and um these are the rules to survive a horror movie and it's clear that that was like the thread that they wanted to continue with the sequels and everything and so of course it would make sense for race to be brought up at some point because it is such a whitewashed uh genre for the most part, especially slasher films. But what I found really interesting being a horror geek is that um, they open the movie 
kind of echoing Scream 1, where it's like Drew Barrymore is the Janet Lee psycho-type character, where she's such a big name that you assume she's going to be like a main character, and then you kill her off right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they open with Jada Pinkett's, uh, I believe it was just Jada Pinkett back then, and then Omar Epps, and it's like, oh, okay, you're opening with two of the few black actors that a horror movie fan in 1997 could identify. And then you put them in this place where Jada has this like soapbox of her own that she goes on about uh, black people in horror movies and why horror movies are so stupid because it's just a bunch of white girls, you know, running up the stairs when they should just be calling the police or uh, getting away or something like that. And Kevin Williamson, the the writer, I think, was like trying to be real clever and cutesy with it. But mm, the way that I read it is like now looking back on it 25 years later, I kind of feel like it's problematic. And I don't know if you guys uh, felt that way watching it. I I did. But I also feel like everything is from that from the 90s (laughs) you know like a lot a lot of things that felt like oh man like edgy and like post-racial almost Mm -hmm. back then now just looks so clunky and and embarrassing yeah no no that's that's true but i mean like this in particular it was like okay jada pinkett's talking about why people in horror movies are dumb and we're supposed to agree with that and then she talks about like race and everything and then she becomes the biggest racial stereotype of a black person in a movie yeah like like yelling yelling at the theater and annoying other people and so it's like okay why would you play into these bad stereotypes and and make us hate jada by virtue of the way that she's acting like not only is she a lecturer but then she's also obnoxious and she's the one that says oh i don't like horror movies and gets super scared by it and walks out of the theater in order to like calm herself down and then you're supposed to feel this sort of release when she dies really dramatically on stage like in front of the movie screen but she just like became this like shrewish character And then also just kind of also played into the genre trope of the black person dying first. It's like in other horror movies, if you're a black person, that's like a death sentence uh, for a horror movie. And so Scream 2 did break some barriers racially in having a black person survive. Uh, Spoiler alert again. But (laughs) they, they also fell directly into black people being the first to die. Yeah. as a trap isn't she also introduced to d'angelo covering prince uh yes yes <laughs> two names that you are very surprised in 2021 to see associated with this movie <laughs> yeah oh a hundred percent and also it was like that d'angelo song there's something about the production of it where it just sounds like it's trying to be d'angelo's other big hits like it's it's got the same sort of like bop to it in the background. I don't know if that means he just like apes Prince all the time, or if like he's trying to recapture some of his D'Angelo magic. In, in the I mean, cover. I think these were all recorded while they were, you know, in the same sessions where they recorded their hits, and these just were the 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 not hits that they recorded. Yeah, I believe so. Like the Foo Fighters song, Dave Grohl, Pat Smear, and Nate Mendel are 
credited as writers, Pat Smear left right after the color and the shape was done. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't like them going back in the studio to record like a song for a movie. This was like day day two of tracking color of the sh- in the shape of, uh, on a song they probably forgot like the rest. Yeah, the like rest I've never, session. I've I've seen Foo Fighters many times. Um, they've never been like, hey, let's break out that B side from the Screen <laughs> Two soundtrack. <laughs> like they'll play that song from Orange County. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe Dave Grohl's missing like a whole corner of demographic. With, by not playing that it's like oh man i only came to hear dear lover <laughs> i actually bought the soundtrack in high school because the because i was trying to get every john spencer blues explosion thing i could get my hands on and then i didn't find out till after i got it that it was a dr john cover yeah i think so right and it's a song that's famous in a different movie <laughs> wait what movie is it famous then Days and confused oh yeah it's when it's when they go around town hitting mailboxes with the bat and then the guy comes oh, out with right. the gun right i totally forgot about that you know that, that john spencer song is like really funny because it's very obviously the only one recorded by an artist for the movie that actually watched the movie or knew anything about the movie because like the master p song is called scream so you would assume that they wrote it because they're going to be in the movie scream right um but then john spencer has this like long exposition about like nev campbell and shit (laughs) before the song (laughs) actually starts and it's like oh yeah like uh this guy actually uh knew that he would be in a soundtrack as opposed to like just having a tape pulled out of a, a trash bin and put onto a soundtrack yeah yeah, let me reference the movie and then sing a song that I didn't write. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, it, they, there's a lot of covers, aren't there? Like um, the Less Than Jake song is a cover. Well, it's that I think I love you, but what am I so afraid of? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it comes at like such a, like it, it's, I have. Is that like Tom Jones, like originally a Tom Jones? Yeah, Tony, so. Tony, Ro- Tony Romeo. Tony Romeo. Romeo. Okay. Or Tony Romeo. Okay. So, so um, the whole movie, right. And listening to the soundtrack multiple times. And I wrote down four notes, like four, one sentence notes, and that's it. And the first one is really jarring less than Jake cover for end credits (laughs) because it's like um, the movie ends and it's like a kind of satisfying, kind of cheesy nineties horror movie, uh, ending for, you know, it's, it's, it's very cathartic. And then it blares with this like really bad third wave ska punk, like, uh, Tony Romeo cover. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is 97. This is like the hot shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's right? it. Yeah, exactly. It's just like. I don't know. It, it it was so different than the tone of the end of the movie. Yeah. It like it, it kind of it was almost like its own jump scare because it starts <laughs> out so so um energetically. They are one of five Capitol Records bands on the soundtrack. Are you gonna have us guess which other ones there are? No, I'll I'll go into it. So so I got the soundtrack because my sister's working at the label at the time. And she knew that, you know, I was into a lot of the bands. Um, so the Cottonmouth Kings, John Spencer Blues Explosion via some Matador 
distribution thing. Mm-hmm. The Foo Fighters, Everclear, and Less Than Jake, those are all, um, I can confirm, Capitol Records bands at the time. Hmm. Where was D'Angelo? Not on Capitol Records. On Capitol. <laughs> Making I'm, love I, to Looking at it, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm just surprised by how much ground it covers <laughs> genre-wise. Genre it's all over the map. It really yeah, it's weird because if you go to map. Scream 3, it's just like a bunch of like Creed Creed's on it? I think I think Creed has multiple songs on the third volume. I'm like Creed's, oh like my Creed God. Slipknot, Finger Eleven, System of a Down. Oh, oh wow. God. This is Seven like the does, new God Smack. Yeah, it's the new metal one. It's, it's Incubus. The new metal it's one, uh oh my God. Oh, that sounds terrible. Thank you for not picking Scream Three. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least two of us own the Scream Two soundtrack. Yeah, that's true. Like I, I would have figured the answer was zero. And now, now it's sixty six point six percent. Yeah, it's weird because Scream One has you know Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and like Moby's on there before Moby got super annoying. And it just seems like you know I'm I guess they didn't have the same budget, but it seemed like they were trying to like go with the vibe. Yeah. And then Scream Two is like all over the place, and then Scream Three is just like. Ag- like just aggro rock. I think I read on Wikipedia about the Scream Two soundtrack. Something like um, they were like trying to get all these. They were trying to have like a famous soundtrack, mm. like the way that like that's how it felt. Yeah, like I don't know the well, way that I- like Tar- like a Tarantino soundtrack, but like with new songs. Like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, because I, I mean, it really does feel like it took off in the 90s. Like, yeah, granted, there were big, uh, like, popular music soundtracks from the 80s, right? Like, you had your Breakfast Club or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like the 90s really spawned that soundtrack as another way of making money for a movie kind of a yeah. thing. Uh, where where it was almost like a piece of merch that was uh, marketed towards any younger person that was watching the movie and it was full of popular music and um with the movie it's it's like they barely played any of the songs like you would hear like two seconds of a song and it and because it was all over the place it didn't really have any sort of unified theme or vibe the way that the first one did uh like you were mentioning ryan so yeah it, it felt like a cash grab what were what were some big like '90s soundtracks though, or like or like movie songs? I think Romeo and Juliet's the big one. Yeah, Romeo oh, yeah. and Juliet is the big one. Um, yeah. Batman Forever was really big, right? Well, like, what you... what else on was on that other than the Smashing Pumpkins song though? No, you're thinking that... Batman and Robin. I'm thinking Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Batman Forever was U2 and Seal's Kiss from a Rose. Oh Under- shit! Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and somehow Sunny Day Real Estate is on it too. <laughs> <laughs> and the Flaming Lips. Right. Yeah. Really? And, yeah. yeah. Some weird but, fucking yeah. shit. And like every every person my age that I know owns a copy of the Lost Highway soundtrack. Yeah, huh. Oh, that a perfect drug. It, it had a lot of stuff. It, it that was a, a really good soundtrack. And then um I know I own the Saint soundtrack. Uh, virtually everybody I know owned the train spotting soundtrack. 
Uh-huh. No, train spotting. The crow, I think, was pretty the big. Crow. The yeah. crow, that's right, yeah. Judgment night. Yeah, yeah. The the, the perfect fusion of hip hop and metal. <laughs> Biohazard with Onyx. And Teenage <laughs> Fan Club with De La Soul. <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty good actually. I don't know the song, but I feel like that's a, a good pairing for them. You know when we end this podcast, I'm listening to the Judgment Night soundtrack. <laughs> you know, um, one one of the first reactions that I had to the Scream 2 soundtrack, uh, because this isn't a podcast about Judgment Night as much as I want it to be. Um, <laughs> a movie none of us have seen. <laughs> and a soundtrack none of us have really listened to. <laughs> Uh, no, so so like one one of the things that the Scream Two idea uh, brought about in me, and and I'm kind of shocked that it still existed, and um, am a little bit ashamed of, is it brought out like my teenage haterdom. Like I was <laughs> I was a teenage hater. And... Oh, I was definitely a teenage hater, and I feel like Scream at first, the movie itself made me like almost feel that way uh-huh the, um it took it took me a, a, a few minutes to to warm up to it this time sorry i interrupted you oh you no 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 i i mean you know it's just like uh you know i i said i rolled my eyes it was like oh sugar ray oh <laughs> less than jake even though i had a less than jake cd um collective soul was like collective soul to me was and I, I'm sorry, Ryan, if you like Collective Soul, and I'm sorry, listeners, if you like Collective Soul, but that band to me was the pinnacle of um, music. Yeah, <laughs> the <laughs> pinnacle of art. Um, it, it was like the pinnacle of the major labels and record companies, like stripping clean the carcass of pure and. Um, and hopeful and idealistic grunge, if that makes yeah. any sense. Like, um, like when Kurt Cobain died, some of his brain splatter got onto a suit and then was processed into Collective Soul. <laughs> no, but at this point with Collective Soul, they had turned into total like adult contemporary. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Easy yeah, music. yeah. Like you could replace Collective Soul with like Goo Goo Dolls and Silverchair and ten other bands, and just uh. Yeah, it's it's like mom rock. It's it's future mom rock. It's like, I don't even like silver. So I don't even like silver chair, but I am offended by you coupling silver chair with those other bands. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Are they too real for you? I think they. I feel like they were actually important to Australians. <laughs> well, it's a good thing nobody from Australia listens to this. I don't think they ever <laughs> they got the that internet. adult contemporary. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They weren't they. They. I feel like they were just a little older than Hanson. <laughs> yeah, they. They would have been like twenty five at yeah. the time. Okay. Actually, probably not even twenty five. Probably they were probably twenty one when the soundtrack came out. Wait, hold on. Was at was Hanson at the time adult contemporary? No, I think they were just pop. Yeah, I think they were pop. called pop or like the resurgence of bubblegum pop. Mike D's uh, wife directed the Umbop video. Oh, that's right. She also directed like the Britney Spears movie, didn't she? Yeah, but we're not <laughs> touching Britney Spears right now. Free Britney. Mm. You know, once I when I first started Twitter, I was 
or first joined Twitter. I didn't start Twitter. When I first joined Twitter. <laughs> when I first founded Twitter. <laughs> uh, when I first joined Twitter, I was talking to like some friends, just like killing the workday. Let's talk some shit about like songs we hated from the nineties. And I put December by Collective Soul. And then Collective Soul started following me on Twitter. <laughs> and then a bunch of their fans started following me on Twitter. And I Whoa. basically closed my account because I was terrified. <laughs> and like none of them did anything to you. It's just, just like they were like menacing, menacing youths. I think they thought that I was mentioning the song because I was a fan. Wow. But it wasn't like, oh, this I'm mentioning this song because I hate it. <laughs> like, I better close down this account before they catch wise to the fact that I'm not a fan. I was just like, this is weird. I, I really don't my... want collective false. I don't want them following me. That's my favorite thing I've heard all week, I think, is that you had a Twitter account, but it got followed by too many collective soul fans. <laughs> so you closed it. <laughs> you know what they call themselves, don't you? soul heads <laughs> sorry i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i think the nine i really like 90s one hit wonders one uh just the the one song <laughs> like uh flagpole sitter come on you guys yeah that yeah speaking of or, soundtracks uh, i think that movie or that song holds like the record for most soundtracks in one decade Oh, was it just on in every soundtrack? It feels like it was on every set. Like, you know how um, Fortunate Son by Credence is on every soundtrack for a movie that's supposed to take place in the 60s? Yeah. 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 yeah it's like, yeah. Does that I, song mean the 90s to people? Yeah, I think so. Like the late 90s? Huh. It kind of does. It was yeah. definitely like at a time where I claimed to not listen to the radio, but I definitely knew that song and I definitely did not buy that album. <laughs> One of my favorite music writers uh, recently tweeted that "Sex in the Can," that "Sex and Candy" is the best pavement song that he ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> That's another good one. "Sex and Candy," yeah, um, popular by Not a Surf. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so very nineties feeling. I don't know. I I feel like th these were the kinds of songs that um, they were hoping would be on the Scream Two soundtrack. Like they were hoping that Eels would have a different Eels song. Yeah. Because I feel they... like every Eels song is what well, you're that's talking from an album. about. That yeah. song is from an, album. from an album. Right. And it's also very good and reminded me that I should really give Eels a, sh a chance. Like I know that they're, they're kind of this, everybody thinks that they're really underrated and unfairly lumped into 90s popular music, but that they're actually legit. You know, it's, oh, they're legit. They right. just get really dark really fast. <laughs> I have no problem with dark. As isn't isn't Electroshock Blues about like about how like half his family died while he was making the album? Jesus, uh, that's interesting. Or like I think like two people died and then another one got cancer, or maybe two people got cancer and one of them died. It, it's it's dark. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, the opposite of dark would be Rivers by Sugar Ray. <laughs> yeah, which also I think only appears in the credits. <laughs> it's it's like, I, I don't understand. What's the logic behind a song that you pick for a movie that only appears in the credits? 
I mean, you have to have a credit song. Well, yeah, exactly. But usually, that's coveted space. What What are you trying yeah. to evoke with that, though? That's where my heart will go on goes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, with any hope, you're kind of wrapping up the whole thing. You're like putting a big bow on it. Yeah, you're hoping that people love the movie so much that they're just going to stick around for the credits. I feel like it worked a lot in the 80s, like like Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. You know, like how else are you going to end that movie? With, with what's Rivers from Sugar Ray. <laughs> Which is apparently their tribute to Weezer. <laughs> it did. You know what? I, I did feel like that was a Weezer song or like Rivers Cuomo uh, ghost wrote it or something. It feels very Weezer-esque. Were they like LA, LA band friends? Sugar Ray's from Huntington Beach. They could have been. So they were anti-mask friends. Sorry. I don't know if they were friends. I think they just liked Weezer's music, so they decided <laughs> to write a Weezer song. I mean, Sugar Ray started out as a hardcore band. Yeah, didn't they have? I didn't they have like a video on Beavis and Butthead that was metal oh they're from newport beach not huntington beach mm. eh, same diff but originally playing heavier new metal music style they basically i don't know what to call their music other than it sucks but it definitely became like much poppier and much more easy listening yeah yeah i went on a date with a cheerleader who was really into sugar ray I don't believe either of those things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Phil didn't either, so he accompanied me to that date. Uh, because, Did? yeah. It, in fact, a whole group of my friends didn't believe that I was going to go out with a cheerleader. And so. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because you met her online before yeah. that was a thing. Yeah, before it was a thing. Oh, I totally remember this. Yeah. yeah. You, her name, her was, name Samantha. was Samantha. And we all called her some 30 year old Mantha. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> we we were all like sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, yeah but, I mean, I don't think I think we just were like you're meeting someone on on the internet, and this was like nineteen ninety seven or something. So we were like, this is gonna go badly. So we're gonna make sure that this man doesn't murder you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it was just like a nice lady. Yeah, we were, well, I think we were just relieved that someone wasn't trying to molest our friend. Yeah, I was kind of just shocked that she was who she said she was. I think I was expecting to be catfished, even though I didn't know catfishing existed back then. Um, it was just like, oh, no cheerleader is going to want to go out with this hater, this teenage <laughs> hater. But yeah, we, we wound up going to the Sam Goody record store at Universal City Walk and looking through a bunch of Sugar Ray albums. What a date. Wow. While, while all your friends watched from like 20 feet away. Uh, you know, <laughs> were, were you guys in the store? I thought I thought we had a bit of privacy once you guys you realized probably did. that. I, I remember, I kind of just remember like meeting in ni- nice and open in the public. Like, <laughs> probably right in front of the movie theater. Or uh-huh. Maybe, yeah. Something like that. Something like that. I don't really remember anything else but being relieved that there was a... A not grown ass man. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike when I pose as a cheerleader now. <laughs> yeah, well now now we're on now we're on the other side. Right. 
what where even were you meeting people online there was no like craigslist even then aol chat rooms baby asl asl <laughs> that stands for age sex and location oh <laughs> yeah one listener will know what i'm talking about <laughs> I was going to bring up The Score by Marco Beltrami. Yeah, please do. So he's scored all the Scream movies, but Scream 2 in particular has like a three-minute piece of Danny Elfman's score. Okay. And, you know, I'm like, I've used, like I've noticed in films they'll reference like a famous score at some point from someone else but this seems like a guest spot from danny elfman and i'm not used to composers like letting a different composer have like a guest spot (laughs) yeah yeah that's kind of weird it it, maybe it's like uh like if you hire me i promise i'll get you some elfman three minutes of elfman but elfman doesn't go on the score soundtrack he just he just randomly scored three minutes. Yep. <laughs> I wonder what three minutes they were in because I I didn't notice it. I mean, you know, they, there's only a couple of times where I even noticed like a a scored soundtrack to the movie. Yeah, most of the music most of the music I noticed was like from the the OST. Yeah, there's not a lot. I believe that it's 17 minutes if you were to buy the Scream Two original <laughs> score. Wow, three of which are Elfman. That you know that that makes me wonder. It would be kind of funny to make a movie that was scored by like a bunch of different people. <laughs> yeah, and the set like you know like oh John Williams and Hans Zimmer and Danny Elfman and Mark Mothersbaugh like scored this movie. What the fuck is this movie? But like, none. But they didn't work together. They just all had their like yeah but 25 it was, minutes right. of, of film <laughs> and none of them were allowed to see the film to score it <laughs> or no one was allowed to hear what anyone else had done but yeah but like basically just hire hire composers like you would a uh a pop 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 you know pop musicians so you want cottonmouth kings to score your movie <laughs> four minutes of it (laughs) i mean they do that with movies right they have what are they called sorry but you know they'll get different directors to do like oh yeah yeah like an anthology film like an anthology film film. yeah yeah, yeah. so why not do an anthology uh score score yeah i'm telling you yeah i mean or do an anthology score for an anthology film like each director picks a composer picks a composer i don't know I, I think we've stumbled onto something here. <laughs> I think we've stumbled onto something un, <laughs> uh, prohibitively expensive. Uh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> unobtainable, but something that everybody would be into. Oh, yeah. Because our soundtrack composer or soundtrack supervisor here, Ed Gerard, uh, outside of the Scream franchise, he's mostly known for uh, the uh, City I Love You movies. You know, oh, you know uh-huh. what I'm talking New about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, like, the first one Paris was Paris. Yeah. So, he didn't do Paris, but he did New York, and he... I didn't know there was any... I didn't know they made more than Paris and New York, but apparently there's going to be a... Uh, Biloxi, I love New Or <laughs> There's going to be a New Orleans <laughs> one. 
speaking New of Orleans is Dr. In John. It's going to be all Dr. John. <laughs> and Shanghai has also been announced. Oh, okay. Is he scoring all of these? He's a supervisor. Hmm. Oh, who's he going to supervise? Uh, Hans Zimmer and Danny Elfman and, and Cottonmouth. Mark 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so going back to Scream, did you, either of you, find it funny um, where the Cottonmouth Kings wound up? Wait, where movie? did they wind up? Okay, so uh, Jamie Kennedy, his character Randy, who, by the way, I just want to make mention that in the movie, they made him look like a weird fucking Satanist for no good reason. Between his eyebrows and his facial hair, it was like a really, really bizarre uh, decision that made him look really evil. I mean, I guess that was the point was uh, the the whole thing is like, you don't know who the killer is. Like, maybe oh, yeah, him, that's like maybe that's it's this weird really, Satanist. Is that that's not a thing that's common in horror or slasher, the like whodunit element? Uh, it is and it isn't. Yeah, I would say overall it is. Like I'm I'm trying to like rack my brain for slashers because I'm not a huge slasher person, uh despite being a uh the resident horror advisor for this soundtrack uh, uh podcast. Um yeah, I w- I would say who done it is is kind of the big thing with huh, okay. with slashers. But yeah, like it it seems especially gimmicky in Scream. And I think part of it is because it's, uh, at least in the first two movies, it's like two people each time. Whereas mm-hmm. like in most movies, in most slasher movies, it's one person. Then in, in the Scream movies, you have to figure out how the pieces fit together to accommodate two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so, so anyways, in, in the Jamie Kennedy death scene, is when they use Cottonmouth Kings. And all that happens is he gets lured into a TV van and stabbed to death. Uh, but as he's being stabbed to death oh. to mask the sound, there's just these three youths with a boom box <laughs> that boom walk box. by yeah. blaring this like really horrible Cottonmouth King song. And then one of them has this really awkward spin move. Like he's supposed to be a break dancer, but they didn't have the room, the time or like the talent for break dancing <laughs> in it. So he just does this like weird spin that nobody walking around listening to a song would do. But then again, nobody would be walking around with a ghetto blaster blaring. Yeah, I mean, there's a either. lot of things in this movie that people would not do. <laughs> And that's the scariest part of the movie, dying to Cottonmouth Kings. <laughs> kind of. Wait, and, and wait, what are you talking about? There's a lot of things in this movie people wouldn't do. Oh, I mean, well, it's a horror movie, right? So, like, the whole, like, running up the stairs. I Like, specifically when when uh, when Sarah Michelle Gellar started running up the stairs in, like, the sorority house. There was a bicycle she could, like ram down maybe she was like oh there's a random bike in the stairs i can push that on them <laughs> i i, I <laughs> her being in the movie to me is just very funny because it's it's clear that they were just like let's have the famous lady in it and then let's just kill her and let like all all of the all of the like there's so many plot holes with her. <laughs> like yeah. she was like the designated uh like 
sorority sister. Yeah, she all the sorority is the sisters sober were sister. The sober sister. Said. But like, it looked like all of the sorority and frat houses were like across the street from each other. <laughs> so like, why? <laughs> why does anyone need to be sober? Well, in that? case one of them wanted to drive across the street. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it all just seemed very... Yeah, no, it, it, it was to get another name into the movie and yeah. kill off another name. And I do kind of like that there were two Janet Lees in this movie. Yeah, you, know, you had I mean... Jada Pinkett and her. So it was mm. kind of like a double fake out. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it seemed she, she felt very wedged into the plot. Did S- Scream set off like kind of this teen horror teen slasher thing in the 90s like yeah scream was the genesis of it right yeah and then after it was like uh i know what you did last summer and like yeah final destination uh so so many yeah scream scream was the genesis of it um horror in mainstream cinema was like a dead thing and scream popularized it again Um, how how long had it been dead was it because there's just too many like halloween sequels I think it's because there was just VHS. And so people realized that you could just put things directly to video. And uh, the horror crowd was more like a rent at home, watch together sort of uh, oh, demographic. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, and so Scream brought out this like Teens desire to communally watch it in a mm-hmm. theater. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, the 90s are known sort of collectively as like the wasteland decade of horror. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, sort of uniformly recognized as being like the worst decade for horror. You know, I mean, granted, there's some really good, amazing stuff to have come out of it. But uh, Scream, despite its sort of like postmodern horror trappings, uh, is is kind of like the scapegoat for just touching off like the worst span of yeah like bad slashers well like it seems like the like the casting of these television teen soap stars um seem to be like the way to draw people into seeing it more than it was about the horror right right Mm -hmm. it was more about it was like a, a bottom line. They were like basically bottom lining these these movies, right? right? Yeah, totally. <clears throat> yeah, and I feel like that's it's like a parallel conversation to what we're what we've been saying about the soundtrack. Like this, like the Scream Two soundtrack is indicative of what horror was like. In yeah. The 90s. Oh, you should see that. I know what you did last summer soundtrack. It's got Kula <laughs> oh, Shaker on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's I, got Toad the Wet Sprocket covering Hey Bulldog. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's got corn. <laughs> so, uh, Ryan, I have to ask like, what prompted you to pick this movie out of all other possible horror movies for like spooky season? Was it just that it was the one horror soundtrack you had growing up? Partly that. And I think Phil and I had talked about the John Spencer Blues Explosion song. In passing. Mm. And I was like, oh, like, we should all get together and talk about a soundtrack. Okay. 
Interesting. Yeah, I mean, for me, getting this soundtrack, it was just uh, ticking off a box, of, <laughs> you know, trying to get everything I could get my hands on. Of Obsessive. Um, yeah. I mean, didn't you ever buy soundtracks or comps for the same reason for other bands? Uh, as a completionist, no. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe because I recognized a band and thought that they were cool or that it was like a grouping of bands that I really liked. Like I got the single soundtrack before I had seen the movie because mm-hmm. there were a lot of really good seattle bands on it. Oh, yeah. Speaking of 90s soundtracks, that's probably the best one. <laughs> it it's a really uniformly pretty good soundtrack, I think. Uh, I still have a real big soft spot for Lost Highway and um, The Saint, but that's just me. Because I'll find people who don't like Pearl Jam who'll say, I like the Pearl Jam songs in the single soundtrack. How many people say that? That's <laughs> like... That's At least pretty... to me and my friend. Wow. <laughs> Wait, which 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 probably jam songs are on the single soundtrack? State of Love and Trust. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, okay. No, I I can see it then. And I don't even know song titles, and I know that one. So yeah, all right. Hey, I you knew Flagpole Sitter. I did know Flagpole Sitter. <laughs> Anybody from the '90s knows Flagpole Sitter. <laughs> I know, I know, like twelve song names. <laughs> you knew. I think I love you. Yes. Well, actually, I didn't know that it was called that. It's when I looked at the soundtrack uh, listing and I saw I Think I Love You. I was like, I know a song that they say that in the song. And then it turned out to be that song. So it was like that happens sort of like a lot with songs. Reverse engineering. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or or at least like the thing that you think it should be called is the parenthetical title to the song. Yeah, it'll be called something else. It'll be called like Plaid Argyle parentheses. I think I love you. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's the song. So, you know, the last time we did a podcast episode, we did a movie that had kind of a odd soundtrack for a horror film. Yes. Yes. So I thought this would work uh, kind of in the same way. And then especially by looking at the other versions of the scream soundtracks so i was like wow this one really sticks out like a like a sore thumb oh what's the fourth one the fourth one it's like the sounds and ida maria and the novocaines oh. i'm not a, i'm not really right this was from like 2011 familiar. yeah 2010 2010 or 2011 2011 you were right and the uh a in scream was replaced with the four right brilliant but it seems more like one they didn't have the budget for like a big blockbuster soundtrack but also it seems like they kind of went back to the like let's just kind of stick with the a genre yeah i mean is our our like uh blockbuster soundtracks of new music a thing anymore black mm. panther yeah i oh, i would say i would that say was yes. a pretty big one yeah that's true yeah I, all the all the movies that i'm watching with like my kid have at least one or two okay big songs to them although i i would say i kind of don't count like kids movies because that like uh Disney like made that a, a thing in like the nineties where like there should be a, you know, 
a f- at least one really famous song per movie. Yeah, yeah, but it, you know, typically those were by the people that they had contributing to all the songs or most of the songs for the movie. And then it's mm-hmm. like, and then make sure that one of them is a single. Um, yeah. But a like, I'm, I'm thinking about like the Lego movie and there's that song happy in it. And that's song... despicable me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, I was thinking that everything is awesome song. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. I, I get all these like really, really overly uh, pleasant, uh, catchy earworm songs mixed up. But yeah, everything is awesome. I think was written by Lonely Island. It's a Tegan and Sarah song featuring Lonely Island. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't think Tegan and Sarah wrote it. You think Lonely Island wrote it and then they just sang it? Well, Lonely Island wrote their part. I think Cottonmouth Kings wrote it. <laughs> like nobody else knows what they're doing right now, right? Yeah, Where does anyone do, do any of us know anything about Cottonmouth Kings? I know that if a person said that they liked them, I knew to be wary of the person. <laughs> yes. I am looking it up. <laughs> Apparently they are still a band. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how many of them are uh, original, original members. Original members? <laughs> None. <laughs> Some they're just four generations removed at this point. They're just oh, they're from alive. Orange County, and that makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. Um, I imagine that they pick new Cottonmouth King members by virtue of like a ritual that gets passed down from generation to generation, and it involves <laughs> bloodletting of some sort. <laughs> Can you agree that they incorporate elements of other genres, including psychedelic rock, reggae, dubstep, bluegrass, and jam band? Uh, no comment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently they broke up in 2016 and reunited in 2017. (laughs) (laughs) Did they, were they at Woodstock 99? Ooh, good. I don't question. think they were big enough to be a Woodstock yeah. '99. Yeah. yeah, they they peaked too early for that. But they're they're like of the same. The people that listen to Cottonmouth Kings were the people were at- running around in the <laughs> shit at Woodstock '99 and setting fire they, to everything. So the Cottonmouth Kings didn't play at Woodstock '99, but all their fans were there. <laughs> yeah. The the spirit of Cottonmouth Kings was alive and well at Woodstock '99. Yeah. Well, yeah, if their rap song, if their songs about suburb, suburban living is so hard, I feel like they're a shoe in for Woodstock. I was not expecting Cottonmouth Kings to be the main topic of the Scream Two soundtrack <laughs> conversation. Yeah, well, uh, you didn't I, well, fall we all in remember, love with the dancer. I, I think we just all very vividly remember ignoring everything about them. Well, thank you, Phil and JM, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's always a pleasure to have you both. Uh, so Swamp Dogs, House of Crows will be coming out around Halloween. Yeah, thereabouts, yeah. So look out for that at your local comic book store or 
your not local comic book store? Yeah, uh, you know, if if you have a hard time finding it, they are available at swampdogscomic.com. I don't know when this podcast drops, but we are taking pre-orders on the website for the issue. So you can get it straight from the creative team uh, when it's released. Very cool. Yeah. You can check out Rubber Spaniel on Instagram or Spotify or any streaming service. Yeah, we're all we're all over the place. We have a um, a mixtape on YouTube that's worth a listen and a watch. If you have the internet, you can find them. <laughs> if you don't, then you're just screwed. <laughs> you shouldn't even be listening to this. Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't, <laughs> how are you listening to this podcast? I think some kid in New York sells them on the street for, you know, mix CDs. <laughs> Records someone, them on someone. tape. Yeah. Check out Soundtrack Your Life on Instagram at SoundtrackCast, on Twitter at Soundtrack underscore your. If you'd like to email us, SoundtrackCast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out, too.